Hi everybody, and welcome to the 90x9 show. As some of you may know, since 2009, I've worked with quite a few startups around the planet. Throughout this time, I had the opportunity to meet some amazingly intelligent, talented, and incredibly driven people. Many of them had stories that should have been heard by an audience of more than just me and my cup of coffee. Unfortunately, I did not think to create a podcast to showcase these amazing humans until now. In the spring of 2019, I started with the simple goal to feature one female founder each month. But as each episode aired, the questions submitted by you, amazing listeners, led this show on a very different path. What started as a female-focused knowledge base has transformed into a conversational showcase of high-performing professionals, investors, athletes, and thought leaders. So without further ado, welcome to the 90x9 show. Hello and welcome to another episode of 90x9's Female Founders series. Today, we have a very special guest. Bonnie Wells is the founder of the Coastal Living Real Estate Group. Her company has seen explosive growth in what was supposed to be an oversaturated, impenetrable market. Let's hear more from her on this episode of 90x9's Female Founders series. Bonnie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you're pressed for time, so let's dive right in. Last year, her company ended with a little over 50 million in sales. 50 million in sales. And how old is the company? Three years old. Three-year-old company, 50 million in sales. For the second year in a row. Wow. Okay. How did you get started? Well, I got my selling background right after college. I ended up working for a company that was part of Dun & Bradstreet. I was with their sales force for a few years before entering into the real estate market. Once I got my real estate license, I went to work for Coldwell Banker just so I was able to get the basics down. From Coldwell Banker, I went to Remax, and then from Remax, I opened my own company. And your first company that you opened was Sovereign Realty. And how many years did you run that for? I ran that for eight years. With the second startup, what did you start out with? I had a computer, had uh, no experience in the market. I was new to the market. How did you get your start your first year? The first year, I approached someone who was looking to sell their property, Mm -hmm. and I said I would work for free just so we would be able to show our marketing package. I knew I could do a better job marketing in that area because most of the people on the island were not driven in the marketing sense. When I offered to do the parcel for free, it was actually a subdivided lot. So I marketed it as three lots, a double lots and a triple lot. What sort of effect did that have on your business? With that, our name got out there. Immediately looked like we had three to five listings, which put us ahead of the game. So the first year, what did you manage yourself and what did you outsource? The first year I actually went on YouTube and learned how to code. So I was able to do a WordPress site, which was better than anything that I saw any other agencies offering. Mm -hmm. So step by step, I did the WordPress site. I worked at least 10 hours a day and much seven days a week. A lot of successful founders talk about how they had to save up enough to not only support themselves and their families, but also to self-fund their startups for a few years before they could begin to take an income. How long did it take you to reach this point? And what were some of the tools and devices that you had to purchase to get you there? I did not take anything from the company for the first two years. The second I did make any money, I reinvested it into the company. By the second year, we became number one in the town and we really launched just because at that point we had all the technology down. We had purchased three drones. We had the Matterport. We had all the computers, everything that we needed, and we just took off. 
Now let's look at the human capital side of your company. I think what you did is a perfect example for first-time founders to follow because like them, you didn't have a massive budget to go out and hire a top-performing full-stack team starting day one. You had to make do with the resources you had available to you. So how many people did you have working for you by year two and how did you attract them? Six. A very large office will only have 20. Mm-hmm. And you attracted those six employees how? By giving them incentives, a better commission structure, a lot of education. I was running Photoshop classes, zip form classes. I brought on a lot of agents that didn't know real estate. So there was a lot of training involved to make them the best they could be. Investing this time and energy into training them and mentoring them on how to do what you did, it really paid off. Because as we see in year three, you had phenomenal results with people who barely knew the market a year ago. Yes, year three, we definitely saw the result of the fruits of our labor. In an area where they promised that no one gets in, we immediately not only broke through, but we rose to the top of the market. One piece of advice that is consistently thrown around the startup space is that you need to prioritize the needs and desires of your clients above everything else. Would you mind sharing an example with our listeners of how you and your team go the extra mile for your clients? The first thing I did was purchase the billboard. And then I put people's listings on that. Look at where we have you. We had you places that other people wouldn't have you since no one had houses on a billboard. That's what I did. A lot of our competitors will say we advertise on CNN, Fox News, the Weather Channel, but they're not advertising someone's home. They're advertising themselves. In each case, we were advertising them. We were putting our client first and our logo second. What are some things that you were surprised to discover really made a difference with your clients? I know you mentioned before that you always have a human talking to them within a few minutes, whereas competitors don't. The real estate process is a very turbulent process, and they usually want something that's seemingly uneventful. So I think the biggest piece of wisdom that I always give to my agents when they're working with clients as well is always call with the, the solution, never call with the problem. Could you give us an example of what this looks like? For instance, let's say a pipe breaks and the person's house is leaking. When you call, don't just offer up what the problem is. Call and say, these are the three people that I can contact for you that can have it fixed by day's end and we can have this and this to to address your issue. I would love a real estate agent who did that for us. When it comes to retaining your client base, your internal motto is at every single stage of the contract, it's best to always stay one step ahead. I think this is a huge differentiator. And what's the client feedback that you get at the end of their selling experience with having this type of customer support offered by all of your agents? They will say that I'm the best in the business, that I am easy to reach, whether it's text, Going above and beyond with this really paid off for you because your company is less than five years old. And this morning you were reading the statistics and you're ranked number 10. Yes, I'm number 10 in the county for real estate sales this year. How many deals did you have to close to be number 10? 14 deals with an average of 2.2 million per deal. And the people who competed against you, they closed how many? Over 100. So they had to work on over 100 deals because they went for the smaller fish. Yes. Wow. Yes. So you came into a market that was completely saturated. There were no new entrants for decades and you blew your competition out of the water. 
How did you decide what you were going to include in your marketing package for the houses that were listing with your company to differentiate yourself from your competition? I would go through and investigate what homes that sold for $50 million offered as a marketing package. And we would mimic that package, even though the home we were selling was anywhere from a million five to 7.9 million. You are literally modern day, 21st century living proof that it is worth it to put in those extra hours in the beginning to become a major player and make yourself competitive within the luxury market. Exactly. And this is up against about 250 agents. The agents that did come in ahead of me have been there for decades. Any advice for somebody that's looking to launch their first startup? Not necessarily real estate, just their first startup in general. Success spells success. Anything from what you're wearing to what you're driving to the technology you're using. When we deal so much with the internet these days, being very picky is key. When you compare sites, you can't just be like an ABC. You need to be the A and everybody else has to be the CD level. Mm -hmm. You just are such a cut above that people are able to notice the difference. I had to have the best photographer because we were going to be sending everything through 189 sites. Mediocre photography doesn't make sense to that market. Aside from being picky about who you choose to outsource various tasks to, such as photography, do you have any other advice for first-time founders? The other necessity is that you find somebody that's not going to be working with your competition as well. The lesson you learned with this, with your web designer, is crazy. Your first website was hacked. Yeah, it was my WordPress site. That was our initial site, which was better than anything local, but didn't measure up to international. Mm-hmm. So then I looked up what the best real estate site was. You looked up the top international websites. You found one that you liked. You sent it to your designer. He made you your own version of this site. And then what happened? Within a short time, one of the agents from Remax almost mimicked my site. How immediately went right to my developer and bought the site. I still cannot believe that happened. One piece of advice that I hear a lot of successful founders repeat is that to be successful, you must begin with the end in mind. And here you are, another example of how well this works. When you built your site, you didn't just emulate the best broker in your town. You followed the examples set by the top 10 in the world. And when you created the marketing packages for your clients who are selling their own homes, you didn't just follow the first free checklist you could find on Google. You studied what much larger brokers were offering to their clients with $50 million homes and made that same package available to sellers with homes priced below $10 million. With all that you are doing, could you just talk us through what it is like when you are presenting your marketing package to prospective sellers? When I go into a listing presentation, they will say, I think out of the box. They'll say compared to the other agents that are doing the same exact thing and have been doing this for 25 years on the island, I'm bringing in new ways of advertising their properties. So now when you go into a listing presentation, you're not only telling them that you're on 180 sites, whether they're domestic and international. On top of that, you're giving them a four page brochure versus everyone else's two page brochure. You're giving them a 3D tour. You're giving them three websites. You're in the Wall Street Journal. You're in the uh, Rob Report, Mansions Global, all of that. And then you continue through Adi's wisdom, adding even more ways that we're able to generate visibility for that property to get in front of a unique set of potential buyers. 
So when you first started in real estate, growth hacking wasn't a thing. Social media wasn't even born. Can you tell our listeners what your experience has been like working with social media, using social media optimization tactics, and trying out growth hacking for the first time? We were able to take each property and make something within each property of each one of these social media bursts, which gained us so much more visibility. That really was a surprise to me because everything else was costing so much and these were free options that were able to be done very simply. Social media optimization really is the name of the game right now, but not a lot of people take the time to learn how to do it and invest time into actually carrying it out. Exactly. And you also got us go with YouTube. You figure 6 million people supposedly go on YouTube a day looking now for properties. And that was something that we weren't doing, but it's how simple not to just be on the regular real estate sites, but then to come into YouTube. And then once you're in YouTube, now you need to get the hashtags and you need everything that you get the visibility and focus on specifically the investment person that you want to be able to have see your listing. At this point in the game, we've been using growth hacking strategies with your company for a few years. Which growth hack would you say brought in the most surprising results for your company? I really don't know at this point. I just feel like every time there's an opportunity that's unique, I go ahead and take it and I rely on you to give me the uniqueness. And then I rely on you to tell me statistically what that's going to bring me. No pressure. All right. So, yeah. so for a first time founder who cannot afford to hire a growth hacker or a full stack marketing team, what are some things that you've done that you've really benefited from that they could try to do on their own? You know, you can, you can be in the middle of a book or you can instead take the cover. I've gotten to the point that I found out what covers of magazines were available. And now for Homes and Land, I take every April and October issue. So now as I'm dealing with people, I know that I'm going to have those two covers. Brand new magazine just took off down on the island and I immediately bought the inside cover. Now we're we're talking $6,000 for that one inside that they immediately opened, but that's my cover until I decide to sell it. I grabbed the grocery cart. That cart's mine until I decide to sell it. What she means by grab the grocery cart, she put photo of her team with her company's logo and contact information on the inside panel of every single grocery cart at the grocery store in her local area. If somebody grabs a grocery cart to go shopping, every time they look down at their cart, they see her logo and her team smile. Mm-hmm. And they will make jokes like we went shopping with you today. But based on that, they're also using us and we ended up number one in that town. And on the grocery card, it specifically says in this town alone, we sold 50 million last year. We were number one by about 20 million mm-hmm. and it averaged about a million dollars a week. You're really hitting with six cylinders. Yes. Always knowing that somebody's right on our heels. So that's where I have to go back to you and say, what's next? We have to stay ahead. Have no me on speed dial. <laughs> Something that's pretty common in the real estate market is passive buyers, people who are looking to buy at some point in the future, but they're not going to make the move until they see something that really excites them. How do you handle these types of people who may be in your sales funnel for quite a long time before they make a purchase? When you're dealing with somebody who's just looking for a for sale, they might not buy for a few years, but you want to be able to have an organization within your structure that you're able to reach out to them constantly, that they're on auto feeds and things like that, where you're sometimes weighing in on the email, like this is a good one to look at. You don't just put them onto an email marketing automation workflow and let them sit there until they reach out to you. It's really a lot of a handholding that you end up dealing with, but that's usually what people like to see. They want to be able to know that their agent is always actively with them. 
Now let's cover something that very few people talk about, physical appearance. Everyone says that appearances don't matter, but when you walk in wearing the right clothing and speaking like a professional, the difference between that and somebody walking in in jeans and a t-shirt is monumental. Who did you pick to wear? They know us on the island as the blue people. And when we went with our colors, we went with a very strong, very dark navy blue, just because our yacht club attire is the navy blue blazer with khaki pants. So our men wear the navy blue blazer with the yellow tie, which is like a vineyard vines tie. And the girls are in a lily pulitzer blue dress we are always dressed to present a home a lot of the agents on the island you'll see them in anything from a flannel shirt to jeans and they're not producers when you're trying to sell a property that is over a million dollars you should really be prepared to look as professional as possible in that environment all right well thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for taking time out of your hectic schedule to join us for this well thank you for having me so i will see all of you on social media have a good day Oh, thank you.